Here at Soul Infusion, our goal is finding a path of awareness through personal empowerment and healing to grow as individuals and as a collective through conscious existence. By discussing different healing modalities, energy work, and all things metaphysical, we strive to increase your individual consciousness and well-being to positively affect the collective consciousness. We invite you to join us on our journey of honest self-discovery and truth. So raise your frequency and let the good vibes flow. This is Soul Infusion. The following podcast series is designed to educate, entertain, and inform, not to provide medical advice. Welcome back to another episode of Soul Infusion. I'm Jen. And I'm Tracy. Jen, I just have to say I am ready to squeal with glee over this episode because we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, crystals. And I'm even more excited that we'll be talking with one of my, for real, one of my crystal idols and the crystal expert, Ashley Levy. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about Ashley. She is the founder and educational director of the Love and Light School of Crystal Therapy. Side note, I attended that. Uh, Her mission is to share crystal healing with people all over the world. She's here to teach you about using crystals to make positive changes for yourself, your friends and family, and your clients, whether you're new to crystal healing or you're an experienced practitioner. She's proud to offer a broad range of training programs and free resources to support you in creating a life that's full of aligned and your soulful purpose. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Me too. Thank you. So I'm going to get started with the first question. And I just have nothing but amazing things to say about Tracy and her knowledge of crystals. And that fact that you're a part of that is so special because she's really, truly gifted um, in her healing. And I know she enjoyed your your classes. Um, I just wanted to start by asking Ashley, how did you get started working with crystals? Yeah, this is, it's such a long story. So I'll try and keep it super succinct, but really it it does go back to my childhood. Um, I've always been kind of enamored with the natural world. I was that kid that wanted to be outside playing in nature. I wanted to check out all the plants and all the little creepy crawly bugs and I wanted to, you know, make little pinch pots out of mud and bake them in the hot driveway and just be connected to the earth. And crystals uh, were a big part of that for me. So my grandfather actually has a huge part to play in this. He was an avid, is an avid mineral collector. He's still with us. He's like going to be 94 years old this year. Um, He is just a wonder. But I was really fortunate as a kid to get to spend a lot of time, like if we had days off school or over the summers, I'd spend the day with grandma and grandpa. And grandpa and I would sit up in his study and he would go through the different crystals and tell me all about them. He was a lot different than my approach to crystals. So he was super scientific minded. He was a chemical engineer before he retired. So he was really interested in the aspect of minerals for industry and why they were mined and how they were mined and what they're used for. And he actually specializes in collecting fluorite from Southern Illinois because he has a family connection there. So there's a little bit of family history for him. And he just found that to be really interesting. And of course he has some other things that he found along the way he thought were just beautiful. So 
those magical afternoons up in grandpa's study, seeing to look at these beautiful earth objects was kind of the beginning. And when I was in third grade, we started our earth science chapter of science class. And we got to look at all the minerals and do hardness testing and all that kind of sciencey stuff that I was a little bit familiar with. Look at the rock cycle. And I had so much fun with that lesson. And we were doing that just before our winter break. And so can't remember if it was for my birthday or for Christmas that year, but my grandpa gave me a book and it was like the Smithsonian Guide to Crystals, Minerals, and Gems. And I loved that book, had the most beautiful pictures and illustrations, but the coolest part about that book was for the first time, I realized that crystals had this historical lore and magic and mystery and mythology behind them. And that was super captivating for me. And I didn't know that crystals had this connection. So, you know, fast forward through my teenage years, thought I was too cool for school, thought that that was like kid stuff, wasn't really into crystals. And in my early 20s, while I was going to college, was super stressed out, having a really hard time, kind of a little bit of a personal crisis trying to figure out what I was going to do. I was going to school for botany. Um, and once I was really in it and realizing, I love plants, but once I realized that my options were probably like working for Monsanto, making GM food, GMOs <laughs> and that kind of thing, I was like, okay, this is not for me. This doesn't really fit with my life path. And while I was going to school, I was working part-time at our local metaphysical shop and they had very few crystals there, but we had this teacher come up from Chicago and it was my first real crystal training. It was a big investment. I was like a broke college student. It was, but I knew that I needed to do it and I just wanted to do it for myself. And that experience changed everything for me. So I knew that the experience that I had and the transformation that I had and how much better I felt in my own life after working with crystals, I wanted to share that with other people. So it started with just doing sessions. And from there, I found my favorite part of the session was at the end when I'd give some homework to my client. And I would say, here are some things you can do with crystals. And they found that so empowering you know, that they could do this too. And that made me so excited. That was like, a light bulb went off and I knew that what I really wanted to be doing was teaching others about crystals. And that was about almost 15 years ago now. Wow, I, lo I, I love your story. I, I just, I love it. And I love that like, yeah, you can give a client because Jen and I are both Reiki practitioners. So I give Chris, I now give crystals as like little takeaway gifts and, or I'll say like, Hey, you know, if you're looking for something, maybe buy this. I love that. You don't have to, you can work with crystal energy and not have been formally trained. You know, some people choose that route, but just to carry it in your pocket and stuff like that. I just love that you can work with the energy from day one. Yeah. yeah and create that connection almost instantaneously. It's beautiful. Okay. I have like a thousand questions for you, <laughs> Ashley, but I'm just going to start with the first one. Uh, like, do you have a favorite crystal? And if you do, what is it? So I was thinking about this and it's so hard because I kind of like flip between a few, but I have like a top five-ish, top three to five. So I absolutely love watermelon tourmaline. Always have. I'm always fascinated by that crystal. I just think it's so stunning lapidolite I probably have more of than anything else like there is something about that stone that calls to me and rarely do I see a piece 
in a crystal shop and not come home with it. It's honestly, it's a bit of a problem, but I love it. I just love that. Um, that problem. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good problem. (laughs) Also aquamarine. I find it so soothing. I'm a bit of an anxious person and um, believe it or not, I'm a huge introvert. I'm like very shy. I can do okay through a computer screen. Um, But I I have a hard time when I'm in like bigger social situations and that kind of thing. So I find it so calming and soothing and supportive. So that's one of my favorites. I also love kunzite. I actually have a kunzite ring that I'm wearing today. Um, just to help me, you know, remember to be in my heart space. I think that's important. Focusing on compassion and empathy in my day to day. Um, and then if I had to pick one more right now, it would probably be flower agate, which is funny because when I first saw it, I'm like, ew, I don't like that stone. Oh, it's <laughs> not drawn to it at all. But the more I've kind of I said, okay, this is like really huge right now. I got to work with it a little bit and see what it's all about so I can share with my students. And I really love it. There's something that is so energizing, but still soft about that crystal. And I can't get enough now. It's all over the place. I need to get that then. I'm going to have to try that because I, I don't have flower agate. And I'm also glad to hear that you have like a list of favorites because I like have a hard time picking too. I'm like, oh, I just keep adding to my favorites. So yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I love when you, when you started to tell your story about how you have both like the scientific knowledge and background, and then you also kind of combine that with the energetic or more mystical part of crystals, because there are people who are interested in really both, you know, and I feel like it's important to have that knowledge because there is a scientific reason why these, um, these crystals are, energetically good for certain things, you know, and, you know, you combine that too, like Tracy and I talk all the time about, we have no idea why we choose this crystal because it's not supposed to help with that for something, you know, special something, but we're intuitively drawn to use it in that way. So I love that you have both, you know, sort of like the energy and mystical with the scientific. I think it's super awesome. Yeah, I think it's important when we work with crystals just to have that foundational knowledge and let it inform the things that you do with your intuition. Exactly. All right. Now I'm going to go in another direction. Are there any crystals that you just can't work with because you don't jive with its energy? Yeah, this is a really good question. This is something I hear a lot, right? Especially like one thing that comes to mind immediately with all the buzz around Moldavite, like on TikTok and Instagram, that kind of thing. Some people are like, oh my God, I just, I cannot work with Moldavite. I don't go along with that crystal or I feel weird or I worked with this crystal and I had a really bad experience. Here's the thing that I, I like to put into perspective for people. First and foremost, just because you have you know, whatever, however you want to label it, like a bad experience with a crystal. First and foremost, it does not mean that you will always have a bad experience with that crystal. Secondly, I think that sometimes a crystal is bringing something to light or bringing something to the surface because it just wants us to be more aware of it, more mindful of it. And so if you have an experience that's less than glamorous, because that, you know, sometimes it happens, sometimes crystals can facilitate an emotional release. Sometimes crystals can, you know what I mean? There are just, there are things that come up that you might not feel great about in that moment, but also sometimes looking back, you can kind of see, oh, 
this was really, you know, starting me on the path to healing this aspect of myself, to look deeper at this thing in my life, to make a decision about this situation I was feeling kind of stuck on. And so I think it's a normal part of our lives, right? To have ups and downs in every aspect of our life, including our energy work, our energy healing. That's part of it. Um, it's not always sunshine and rainbows, unfortunately. Uh, but I also think that there is a quickness sometimes to like, I don't know the right way to say this. I'm a Sagittarius, I'm fiery. I say things quickly, but I think there's a tendency almost to like blame a crystal for a bad experience when it's your own stuff you haven't maybe dealt with. Um, and that is, it's a hard one sometimes to like bring up to someone and say, you know, there's something going on that maybe you just need to deal with. And the crystal is actually supporting you and guiding you to take a second look at that, to take a closer look at it. The great news is if you feel like, you know what, I'm not in a stable place to do that. I don't think I can handle that right now. You can put that crystal away. You know, you can cope however you need to. But if you feel ready, then maybe that crystal can act as a support. You can get some additional support from a therapist, from a friend or family member, a good support structure that you have in place. And then you can work on that thing. You know what I mean? You have options. So I think that's important. Um, but I think like kind of putting the responsibility for that on the crystal itself and going, it's that crystal that makes me not feel good. That's usually not the case. Uh, it's just bringing up something that needs to be looked at. Yeah. It, it's the same, like as other energy work again, like going back to Reiki sometimes, uh, you know, after a Reiki session, someone might have like that energetic cleanse. That's not good. And they're saying like, Oh my gosh, what did this person do to me? But really like they're letting go of that emotion or that blockage or whatever it is. So yeah, it's, it's totally, totally the same thing. Um, just all energy. Yeah. Right. So Ashley, what is your favorite way to work with a crystal? Yeah. So this has really changed over the years. I mean, had you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said in a crystal layout, had you asked me five years ago, I might've said in a crystal grid. Um, but truly these days I'm keeping it super simple when I'm working with my stones. My favorite way to start my day right now is just with a super quick practice at my altar in my sacred space where I choose a crystal for the day and I place it on my altar. I like right in the center. I have a very busy altar area, but I place it right on the altar in the center. And then I light a little candle next to it. And I just sit for a few moments and just kind of sit. I don't know if I'd call it meditation necessarily. Um, but I just sit with the energy of that crystal and connect with that crystal and let anything sort of come through that needs to come through intuitively for that day. Maybe it will help, you know, make me aware of something. Maybe it will help guide me in a certain direction for that day. Or maybe it's just kind of like a background energy that I sort of reflect on periodically throughout the day. If something comes up, I'll think back to that crystal and kind of that message that it's bringing for the day. Similar to how a lot of people will draw an Oracle card to start the day. You know, I think it's a great way to just get a little guidance. Um, and I choose these just totally intuitively or whatever is kind of catching my attention at the moment. And today I actually chose one that I've been working with. Oh, this one has come up a lot lately, but it's this pink amethyst. And 
I love the way it, it, it's large, but it's so soft and smooth. I just love to hold this stone and it makes me happy when I look at it. I mean, it's just beautiful. This is kind of a, a newer, newer, few years old now find from Patagonia and they're just stunning. I mean, they have this soft kind of rosy lilac color to them. And this was, this was the one for today. That's awesome. I, I have a question that I'm going to ask next, um, but I really want to go back to what you just said when you said that you found it a, a year ago, and maybe this does come up later, but how do you get your crystals? How do you find your crystals? Uh, so I actually have my own crystal shop, which really helps and sometimes <laughs> causes a lot of extra purchases. Um, so there's a lot of wholesale vendors that we purchase from through the store. And I actually have a list of wholesalers on my website. This is a question I get a lot. If I wanna start selling crystals, who do I go to? So I've compiled a list uh, over on the website at loveandlightschool.com. And there's also a list of best places to buy crystals online for people who may not have a crystal shop in their local area. Because although like, yes, going and picking them out in person at your local rock shop is super fun. It's usually a really nice experience. Not all of us have access to that. And so finding, you know, some trustworthy sources to buy some crystals online, I think is important. Um, I love Etsy. I love Instagram. I usually, I'm not one that's big for live sales just because frankly, in all honesty, I'm a bit impatient person and I don't like to like wait for that one thing that I really had my eye on. So I'll usually just go search around on Etsy or something like that. I love buying from small businesses. Um, I think that's really important, supporting individual people. And I think it's also important that when you can, you can't always, or you can't always know, but when you can, to look for ethically sourced crystals. And this is something, this term gets just kind of thrown around a lot. And honestly, it's one of my biggest pet peeves because I see loads of Etsy shops and Instagram pages that sell crystals that say ethically sourced or consciously sourced. And Truly, that term in and of itself doesn't mean much. Anyone could say that. You don't really know because in my opinion, and I did a great interview with Nicholas Pearson um, a while back on, on my podcast about this, talking about what does it really mean for something to be ethically sourced? And truly, the most ethically sourced crystal, and Nicholas explained this so beautifully, is you know one that you go pick up right out of your backyard. <laughs> There's a minimal impact to the earth, or you know. So there are four main things that you want to look at if you're choosing ethically sourced, and these are questions that you should feel free to ask the crystal sellers, and they should be able to answer. If you just ask, "Are your crystals ethically sourced?" It's super easy for them to say yes. But there are four main components. So first and foremost. Were the miners safe? Were there any human rights issues involved with the mining? So were the miners safe? Did they have proper equipment? That sort of thing. Second, were the miners fairly paid? Because that's the second part of it. Um, you wanna make sure that miners are paid for their work and paid well, because they're not always. Third, you need to look at, was any child labor used in mining these crystals? Because this is a huge problem. Uh, it's more specific to certain areas um, geographically than others. Certain countries have more issues with this. 
So you need to be really cautious, uh, particularly, you know, we see this in like Madagascar, there have been like exposés and articles about this. Um, and fourth, you need to look at the environmental impact of mining that crystal. Does that mean that your crystal has to have been, you know, hand dug? Not necessarily, because some people think, well, that's what makes it ethical. If it's hand dug, there's minimal impact to the earth. But again, were the miners paid fairly? Were their working conditions safe? All these are important, but you do need to look at that environmental impact and the sustainability process. Most of the minerals that we have on the commercial market that you buy from your local crystal shop are actually secondary or tertiary kind of uh, things that have been extracted from mining ores, precious metals, oh, precious really? gemstones. Yeah, so it, most part, for the most part, the environmental impact like of you getting a piece of malachite isn't going to change, you know, it's not like they went in looking for that thing, typically. Now, are there mines that specialize in like quartz crystals and things like that? Of course, yeah, of course. Um, but for the most part, those are kind of secondary to the market. And, and so if that's already happening, then, you know, why not also provide a, more of a living for the miners by them being able to sell off these secondary things? The other thing is, you know, there are a lot of people that get really hung up on this idea of aren't we harming the earth by taking the minerals from the earth and isn't that a problem? And don't you feel weird about using them as spiritual tools or don't you feel weird about having them when it's it's hurting the earth? You know, people are convinced it's like hurting the earth. And the thing is your car, your computer, your cell phone, your iPad, those things, I guarantee you, are much worse for human rights abuses and for environmental impact than any of your crystals. Right. I feel like when I think about that, I feel like crystals are literally Earth's gift to us. When I talk about crystals in our class or when we, when I'm talking about them to a client of mine, I honestly talk about the fact that we are meant to find some of these and come across them. They are a gift. You know, they're truly a, a gift. So, um, so that's very interesting. I'm really glad we had that discussion. Uh, on another note, if someone, let's talk about someone just getting started in crystals, they want to start using crystals or just having them and working with their energy. Are there certain ones that you would recommend that they would have to get for their toolbox first? Any basics? I love this question. So I think anything in the quartz family. Um, and so most people think of quartz as just being like one thing. They think clear quartz, crystal points, right? But quartz is the most abundant mineral in the earth's crust. And there are so many formations and iterations that it really takes. And you could get a great starter toolkit of just quartz crystal and variations of quartz. So I would say start with clear quartz, smoky quartz, amethyst, citrine, and rose quartz. Those are like my top five because they're so versatile. You can do so many different things with just those crystals. And if you wanted to expand that a little bit to get some additional colors and different energies, then you might want to consider some green aventrine, which is actually a crypto crystalline quartz-based mineral. Fancy science words there. It just means it doesn't form crystals that are visible with the eye. They're tiny microscopic crystals. So 
green adventuring, blue quartz, which is kind of a soft blue with dark blue veining. It usually comes from Brazil or India. It's very affordable and it's a great way to get some of that blue energy into your toolkit. Um, and then you can also bring in carnelian, which is a form of quartz. It's a chalcedony, which again is a crypto-crystalline quartz. So bringing in that orange carnelian. And then you have this huge range of colors. You have a great selection of crystals, very common. You can work with just, do just about any type of work with just those very few crystals. That's awesome. That's, I, I didn't realize that this is going back to the science of things that their quartz runs through so many of the different crystals that we use, you know? I always yeah. have, in my toolkit, I always have these black stones of protection and cutting out toxic energies. <laughs> like I work with the black stones a lot. Yeah. yeah. And you know, something like black tourmaline would be a great one to add for its yielding qualities as well as its grounding properties. Um, smoky quartz is a good one for that also. So they're kind of interchangeable, but yeah. the main thing I think is, you know, don't follow anyone else's recipe, pick what you're drawn to. And I think a huge thing to keep in mind is this is something that you build slowly over time. You don't have to rush out and purchase everything under the sun. You don't have to, you know, look up a recipe online for a crystal grid or a layout and go get those exact stones. Work with what you have because I guarantee you it will make you a better crystal healer. It will push you to connect with your intuition. It will help you be adaptive and flexible and you'll learn so much more from the process. That's awesome. We have been asked if there are any crystals that should not be used together, like they shouldn't be paired at all. And, you know, we looked at each other, we were asked in class this question and we looked at each other and we kind of knew the answer of the same. I remember Tracy, we were like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think so. I do think if you not, to, I mean, there's probably crystals that, you know, the energy is so different and maybe the energy is not compatible, but as far as like an explosion happening chemically or like, you know, you having a terrible reaction because, you know, a bad outcome because you paired two crystals. Um, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. We basically felt that there really wasn't any combination that we felt because if we were intuitively drawn to using them together, then we felt that you should do it, you know, if you are intuitively drawn to do so. So I'd love to hear what you have to say because, you know, maybe we hope we were right. <laughs> I think we I have to say, I want to put your mind at ease because I a hundred percent agree with you. A hundred percent agree with you. And here's Ooh. why there are two parts to my answer. Okay. The first part is when it comes to healing and energy and magic, I feel like time and space, the boundaries of time and space don't apply. So if all those crystals are here on this earth together, then that is no different to me than working with them together in a session, having them in the same space. And it is one of my biggest pet peeves when people put this like fear out there by what? saying, oh, never use, you know, blue kyanite with citrine, or I don't know what they'd say, but I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, that is one of my biggest pet peeves because I think it creates this unnecessary fear of, for people that are just getting started with crystals, especially that they're going to do something wrong. And honestly, it's kind of gatekeepy and I don't really like it. Yeah. Um, so I, I've struggled with that. Secondly, the only time you would have an issue with this, the only time it would ever come up is based on your intention. So this is the example I always like to give. 
say you had a crystal that you wanted for energizing and a crystal that you wanted to help promote restful sleep. And you put both of those in your bedroom on your bedside table, they're a little conflicting, right? You have conflicting intentions. And that's the key when it comes to any crystal work is your intention for that piece. And like you were mentioning earlier, you know, sometimes you're intuitively drawn to a crystal for a purpose that you might not find a listing for in any book. You might not, you know, but you know that that's the right crystal for you for that purpose. And that's what's most important. So as long as you're not intentionally causing or creating conflict with the two stones that you're working with, that's what's important. So if you have a crystal you've actively been working with for energizing and you put it on your bedside table and you have a crystal that's supposed to promote restful sleep, worst case scenario, they're kind of going to cancel each other out. You're just not going to get much benefit from that. Um, so just be intentional with the crystals that you choose and know why you're working with them. I think that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that too, because my thought was, I'll work with anything if it feels good. Like, why wouldn't, I mean, and I have so far never come across a crystal I didn't like or didn't like to work with because I just love them all so much. They're like my little tools and my babies and I treat them like I would want to be treated. I love the intention comment because it's not only with crystals, it's with any healing modality. It's, you know, what you put behind it. Um, People ask us all the time, how do you know that your protection is working in your Reiki sessions? And it's because I know, I just know, like I see the bubble, I see the protection and I know this energy that I am asking for protection is working. So, you know, it, I just love that, you know, that it's so powerful what you're intending to do with stones or whatever, tarot cards or healing, whatever you use, you know, whatever tool it is. A hundred percent. And I'd love to add to that also, you know, people get really hung up on like, where crystal properties come from. And there are a few places that they come from, right? So if you go to a crystal book and you look up amethyst in like three or four different books, you might get some things that overlap and you might get some wildcard things, some totally different things. The reason for that is that crystal properties come from the author's personal experience, right? So if the author's personal experience is valid, then your personal experience is also valid. Second, they come from maybe meditation or dream work or, you know, any kind of intuitive work where someone is just picking up on energy that way and reporting back. Third, they come from experience working with clients, working with other people, anecdotal evidence from stories. And fourth, they come from historical properties, historical legend and lore that we have about these crystals and the way that they've been used. You could also consider the crystal's color to influence the properties that it has. That's, this is very common. And you could also consider the crystal's shape or structure to influence the type of energy that that crystal has. So it's kind of a combination of all those things. So, it, you know, that really kind of speaks to, there can be such a wide variety of uses for a stone. So this comes back to why intention is important to kind of narrow down and focus on why you feel currently connected with that crystal. And also just validates that, yes, your experience is paramount to you choosing that crystal. Your experience is valid. Your experience is just as valid as someone else's. Even if they've written a crystal book, even if they're out there teaching classes, your experience is just as valid. It's so funny that you said about color because, you know, I always try to match my crystals. I have a ton of things I wear around my neck. I always wear some rock around my neck. And 
I, I match it with what the clothes that I'm wearing. And I'm thinking like, that's not a very good way to pick a crystal, but there are certain favorites that I have. And the reason that I have favorites is because of the color a lot of times, but that's the color I choose to wear that day. Cause that's the energy I'm in. So why not choose crystals that way too? You know, cause I'm thinking, wait, you know, last night I wore gold and I wanted to wear gold and browns. I felt warmer. So I grabbed this agate, you know, with the, the brown tones and the gold tones with the gold, it had like the gold wrapping and everything and I'm thinking that's kind of not energetically being chosen but it is because that's the color I wanted to wear in clothing you know so okay I don't always choose that way because when I do healing we choose intuitively and but for me for like what I want to wear it's kind of like the color I'm wearing. <laughs> maybe that's not that maybe that's a little bit more shallow I don't know no, I think like calling that in is really important. And, and, you know, there have been so many studies too on how color impacts us psychologically, how we feel emotionally. And so it makes sense then that if you're feeling drawn to a particular color, there's something there that you're looking for, right? And I think, you know, this, you can call it subconscious, you can call it intuitive, you can call it whatever you want, but I think there's something that we need. And so we're looking for that. Cool. All right. So I don't, I, I don't feel so shallow <laughs> when I get my own crystals, I should say. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. I like to, when I'm picking crystals, if I'm looking for a new one or looking for something to just work with, I like Ashley, how you said like, yeah, dip, it, it depends on the person who's writing it, their perspective. So I always look at a few different examples and then I pick the one that resonates with me. And I know that that's, that's the reason, or that's why, that's why I want to work with, with that crystal at that time. So, yeah, I mean, it's just like working with like tarot cards or Oracle cards. You can, one person can interpret a card completely different from the way someone else would interpret it based on their own life experience and lived experience and their, where they're at energetically at that moment, where they're at emotionally in that moment. It, all those things are going to change our perspective and perception of what the meaning there is. And I think that's important to honor. Yeah. Uh, I have a question now about crystal grids, which is just placing different crystals together to kind of bring their energy together and um, set out an intention. Like um, you could send out peace or abundance or attract that for yourself too, you know. Um, but Ashley, so when you're making a grid, do you prefer to use sacred geometry patterns or do you make them intuitively, like an intuitive crystal grid? What, what is your preference? Is there a right or wrong? I love this question because. First and foremost, no, there's not a right or wrong. Like this is totally up to you. Um, Naisha Asian, who co-authored the Book of Stones with Robert Simmons, which most people are familiar with that book. Uh, I love her contributions to that book. It's, he's not my favorite, but I love her contributions to that book. And she made a clear distinction a long time ago, years ago, between crystal grids, which she said had to follow sacred geometry forms, and then more freeform shapes, which she called crystal mandalas. And so I can see the merit in that. But for most people, like in layman's terms, we would just say crystal grid, right? Doesn't matter if it's following geometry, if it's more intuitive, if it's more free flow. And here's the thing I find if I'm creating a grid for someone else, if I'm doing distance healing work, if I'm doing like any kind of um, energetic work or magical work for someone else, I typically follow sacred geometry because it's a little bit more formulaic. It allows you to choose a base that resonates energetically with, the, with your purpose, choose a central stone and some supporting stones that 
further define that purpose a little bit, connect with it. Um, but when I'm creating something for myself, depending on how I'm feeling, I will frequently find myself doing something much more free-flowing and intuitive. It's almost like a, an active meditation. It's, it's a meditative practice. It's something that I enjoy. It's like painting a picture with crystals and it's beautiful and fulfilling and rewarding. And if I do that, I'll usually do it on my altar space and I'll leave it up for however long I feel inspired by it. It might be a couple months. It might be a few days. You know, it just depends. Um, and I almost feel like this is like this deep way of connecting with your stones because you're allowing yourself to interact with them and really engage with them in a way that's very different. It's not like a one stone at a time thing. It's not just like sitting and holding your crystal, although those are great. I do that stuff all the time, but there's something really magical about bringing them together in this kind of arrangement. And, you know, the other thing about creating crystal grids is it can be totally free form. It can follow sacred geometry but you can also create things that are more symbolic. So maybe you wanna create a circle for wholeness or a heart for love. Like you can just get wild with it. You can do anything you want. You could create a runic symbol or an oam symbol out of crystals. Um, there are sigils that you could create out of, out of crystals. So you can put them in truly any arrangement that you want. The key, just like anything, is to be intentional. I'm glad you said too that uh, when I usually make a, a crystal grid, I make it more free form, more intuitively. And I feel the same way. Like I just feel so connected. Like, I mean, it'll take me, it could be a small grid, but it'll take me an hour to build because I'm like, literally like, no, this doesn't feel right here. This doesn't, what do I need? Uh, I need something else. Oh, I need some mint. Also I'll pull like an herb or something in. And I'm like, I don't know why I need that. And then I look it up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it goes exactly with like my intention of the grid. Um, so I'm glad that's not like my imagination. I knew it wasn't my imagination, but it's just nice to hear like um, someone else, you know, confirm what I'm, I guess what I'm feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And because it is such a personal practice, I think that's why I tend to reserve that style of grid making more for things that I want to do personally, right? If I just want to create something for the sake of creating it for myself, to have that time, like, cause it's not just about that end result. It is very much about the journey of creating it. Like you said, and being in flow, it's a beautiful process. It's really magical. Sometimes you have a lot, a little bit of insight or something that kind of comes through during that process, because it's such a great way just to kind of clear your head too, right? To just stop the, the outside chatter and focus on what you're doing and just be really immersed in that moment. And um, then, you know, if I'm working with someone else, I might be a little bit more methodical and strategic and logical about my choices. So when you, when you, cause I don't do a lot of grid work at all, but, um, I understand the power of that and the energy that comes from those, especially when you have people putting an intention towards a grid to have that reflected outwards to accomplish something or just throw positive energy in a certain way. Um, if you have a smaller collection of crystals, which I do, I, I, I have go-tos. I don't have the museum like Tracy has in her house, although I'm getting more and more interested in, in building my collection. Um, do you recommend, how would you do like a simple grid for people who have less of a selection? Like, are there 
a certain point that you should have in the middle? Like, what would you recommend for people who have a smaller co collection of more basic stones? I love this question too, because I think a lot of people get a little intimidated by grid making because they see the beautiful pictures online where everything is perfectly uniform and all the stones are like the same and they have a ton of just one kind of stone and that's not super practical. Not even for myself, who is an avid crystal collector, right? I have tons of crystals, but I don't always have six or eight or 12 of one type of stone. So what do you do? You go back to that intention. So say I'm creating a grid for connecting with my heart space. Choose your central stone, your anchor stone, for something that helps you feel the most connected to your heart. When you think about when you actually hold your crystal or work with your crystal, what helps you really get in your heart space? That's what you should put in the center. And then for your supporting stones, instead of having, you know, commonly we see like the seed of life or flower of life shape used as a grid base. Um, so there's typically six around that central stone. What if you don't have six? Well, use three, use four, change the number or switch it up. Use three different kinds of crystals or six different kinds of crystals that all relate back to your purpose. That is 100% okay. Uh, I actually think sometimes the simpler, the better. Sometimes we overcomplicate things. We put like way too much going on. And the whole purpose of a crystal grid is to get our message to the universe loud and clear. So sometimes simplifying is actually more beneficial. Um, so yeah, I think reducing the number of stones in general and making substitutions and knowing that they don't all have to be the same because you still have the benefit of maybe creating in that sacred geometry shape if you want to, but instead of having all, you know, this set of stones be exactly the same, mix and match, that's totally okay. And the same goes for the shape. Some people say, do I have to use all tumbled or can I use some rough? Again, use what you have. Like as you build your toolkit over time, you may have more in the future, but don't feel like you have to rush out and buy a whole bunch of things. Use what you have. It will make you a better healer because you'll have that experience and you'll know how to adapt. Yeah. Can you talk about the proper way to actually like store your crystals? You know, is it okay? We've had people ask us, can we store them together? Um, and yeah, so. Or some tips because like we, I mean, I store mine in one bag that I have, but it's like a padded bag inside, but I'm thinking, I, I don't know. I, I want to care for them better. Like Tracy bathes each one separately and puts a little hand towel around each one. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't do that. She's so cute. She's like, they're my babies. <laughs> but like for me, I don't do that. I put them in the moonlight and, you know, do that kind of cleansing and energetic cleansing on them, but I don't store them the best. And that worries me because a lot of my stones come from my father who passed away um, and he had a collection and I feel like I should treat them better you know and, and we get ideas from people like when we had a discussion in our class they were like what about like a tackle box or they're thinking of like containers that have like a separate and I don't really think you necessarily have to keep crystals separated each one but it actually protects them in a way you know because I kind of see that theory so yeah anything you have to like help us to, 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 for our own crystal collection. And then maybe people who ask us, cause you know, I don't know. Yeah. 
When I first started working with crystals and I was learning more about them. So this goes back to even before I took my first professional training. This was like reading books. And truly when I got started with crystals, like they were still a niche thing, even in like the wellness and spiritual community. It was, I was hard pressed to find a lot of information. Most of the materials that were out at that time were like going back to the eighties and then crystals had this like lull and, and now they've of course exploded in popularity, but there were so many like rules about storing your crystals, like only store them in natural materials. They have to be in a wooden box or in black silk tied with a red string, like all these very specific weird rules and you know, I thought, oh, that's interesting. And, and a lot of it, you know, these authors would call back to, well, energy wise, your crystals are from the earth. They should be in something else that comes from the earth. Um, but at that time in my life, I was a vegetarian. I was a vegetarian for about 12 years and um, I didn't want to use silk <laughs> because it comes from silkworms and it's actually like not a very nice process what happens all those little worms and I thought well I don't want to do that and I surely cannot afford like a bunch of wooden boxes like all these wooden boxes everywhere you know so what I settled for at the time was a wooden bowl <laughs> I just had a wooden bowl that I got at the thrift store and I put all my tumbled stones in it for me now, the most important thing when you're storing your crystals is to store them by shape and by hardness. So if you put your tumbled stones and your points together in a big bag, your points are going to get chipped. If that doesn't bug you, it's fine. That would bug me. <laughs> I have a couple, very few crystals that I casually tossed in my purse because I wanted to carry them with me and the little tips got chipped off really bugs me. I'm like so frustrated with myself. I'm like, oh, you were so perfect before, but I'm learning to uh, be okay with the imperfection. Like it's okay. So that's one thing. If you want to be really careful about them getting broken, that sort of thing. But say you store all your tumbled stones together, that should be mostly fine. However, some are softer than others and they will get scuffed or scratched. So if you've ever worked with Satin spar selenite, which is the kind of striated variety of gypsum, you know, it's very soft. It gets roughed up super easily, even when you're really careful. If you have that just loose in a bag, over time, it's going to get scuffed up and scratched. And again, if that doesn't bug you, it's totally fine. It's not a problem. Like the crystal won't be mad at you, I promise. But, you know, for most of us, we want to take good care of our little babies, <laughs> just like Tracy does. We want to like, you know, make sure that they're all safe and sound. So for me, I actually do use those little plastic bead boxes, which totally breaks all the old school rules of the crystals must be stored in natural materials. And the more I thought about it, the more I felt good about that decision. I don't love plastic, but this is like a long-term plastic thing. It's not a one-use disposable thing. But if you wanted to recycle some plastic containers, find some at a garage sale on Craigslist, whatever, however you want to do that, um, that's even better. But I do like the little compartments just because for me, I have so many, I'm, I'm always teaching about them. I need to find them quickly. <laughs> so I have mine all alphabetical in these little compartments and there are a lot of them. So that really, really helps me. 
Um, but it also helps keep them from getting scratched. And I can have lots of different ones mixed up in there, like a couple, you know, if I have like three tumbled amethysts, they'll all go in the same little compartment, that's fine. Um, but if it has a little point on it, I try and keep it separate just so it doesn't get damaged, that kind of thing. And, you know, going back to this idea of the natural materials versus the plastic, the more I thought about it, and the more I started working with them this way, natural materials, are supposedly more energetically conductive, right? That's why people like silk and wood and that kind of thing. And they say, well, plastic is like dead. And if I'm storing my crystals and I've cleansed them nicely and I've put them away, well, wouldn't I want something that was less conductive? Because if it's more conductive, that energy is moving more freely in and out of that. And so if there's you know, stagnant energy in the space or anything like that, then it's like getting to my crystals. But if I have them in this plastic, then I actually feel like it kind of cuts down on that. At least that makes sense to me logically. Um, and I mean, honestly, you're not like using the plastic and throwing it away and creating earth waste. And plastic, just like all this other stuff in our, our, our lives, comes eventually, it back, goes back, goes back to natural material. Like everything on this earth goes back to a natural material, just how you recycle it or don't recycle. You know what I mean? It's, I just feel like that's fine. That's fine. It's, I, you know, it doesn't have, if it's, as long as it doesn't have any chemicals that emit anything, you know, um, yeah, you, you have to, and you're using it over and over again. It's not like, again, you're throwing it away after one use, you know? No, these are long-term. I mean, most yeah. of these boxes I've had for 10 years, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a long time. And you mentioned tackle boxes earlier, which is so interesting because when I was doing crystal healing sessions or teaching locally or internationally, I would frequently fill a tackle box with crystals. And that was like my travel kit. It worked so great. It was perfect. Sewing boxes are really nice too. If you can get your hands on one, they're actually really beautiful. I love those like old wooden sewing boxes, but they're hard to find. So a tackle box, affordable, accessible, super convenient. Yeah. We also heard like, I was thinking like my mom has this vitamin thing. Like it's freaking huge. I'm like, how do you even, you know, it's seven days, but it's like 90 compartments. <laughs> That you could do that if you had little crystals because they're little, you know. We thought that um, something else came up I thought was interesting. Well, the bead boxes I think are what people use, you know, when they people who bead. And yeah. there are tea boxes also. <laughs> tea boxes often have little compartments in them. I actually have like a vintage wooden tea box with a glass top and a little latch and it's so cute. And now I mostly just use it for display because I think it's so pretty to look at, but. Um, you know, you could use anything like that. I love that, like behind you, you have shelving, like really cool shelving. I mean, I was thinking to myself, cause I like to put my stones out on my counter, but I can't cause I have a cat who gets up, not my counter, my dressers. And she gets up there and she just backs them on the floor. You know, and I try to organize them nice and I can't. So if I have something on the wall behind me, like a shelving unit or something, I'm thinking, I really love the way you have that set up. Really yeah, so storing your crystals out in the open is also totally a fine way to do yeah. it. You get to enjoy them. Mm -hmm. uh, just make sure that you're cleansing regularly if they're in a space, where, especially where you spend a lot of time or like a busy space in your home where your family congregates, like living room or kitchen or something like that. Um, but yeah, I have tons of shelves and they have all different things, but you'll see crystals kind of mixed in to the space. 
I love it. Oh my gosh. I love those shells. One of my favorites yeah. is this Laramar spear right here. Oh, <laughs> I just love that. But yeah, out in the open is a great way to store your crystals and it's convenient. You get to enjoy their beauty. Hey, let's turn to the topic of crystal healing. And so a lot of people think that it's like new age or, you know, like uh, woo woo stuff, but really it dates back thousands of years. So can you just give us a brief history lesson on crystal healing, crystal therapy? Yeah. So crystals have been used in cultures across the globe going back thousands and thousands of years. And there are some instances of crystal use that um, would be, I think, called like prehistory, pre-written history, right? And we see archaeological evidence for this. So um, I think it was, I might get this wrong, but I want to say it was at Chichen Itza. I think at Chichen Itza recently. I've been there. I've been You've been there? I think within maybe the past five years or so, there was a, an archaeological dig of a new area near Chichen Itza where they actually found quartz, spears, and pyrite, and all these things. Um, and they weren't sure what the purpose was, but they were being used culturally, maybe religiously, ceremonially. Um, they're not exactly sure what the purpose was because they're you know, newly discovered, they're still kind of speculating. But we see these connections to crystals. We see uh, crystal connections in Africa, all over in Africa with uh, many different types of stones, also shells and coral and things like that that are sometimes incorporated into crystal work. We see large accounts, written accounts of them being used by the Greeks and Romans. Um, in fact, that's like where amethyst gets its name from. It comes from the words amethystos or amethustos, which would mean not drunken, uh, because it was thought that if you drank wine, from an amethyst goblet, you wouldn't get drunk. But there's some speculation that because it was a purple stone, people were actually filling the goblets with water and people thought it was wine because it looked purple. So then they weren't getting intoxicated. Um, and even uh, the word crystal comes from crystallos, which I think means something like frozen ice or like permanent ice. And so people thought crystal was just like, petrified ice that was never going to melt. So there's a lot of interesting history there, but we see crystal writers throughout history. That's when we really start to see more. And it's, it's kind of a shame because we, you know, we have cultures that were using crystals through oral tradition. Um, and, you know, in, in a way that I think was, just more ubiquitous with the culture like it didn't need to be written down because the people who needed to know how to work with these stones knew how to work with these stones we see it in ayurvedic medicine in india and again in a lot of different african cultures but it's not until you know the europeans who famously kind of had to write everything down that we see more written accounts and records so we have uh, pliny the elder theophrastus a lot of these bigger um, more well-known documenters and recorders of history included entries about crystals and stones in their lapidaries. Um, we have very famous crystal workers like Hildegard von Bingen, uh, who, you know, famously worked with herbs and so many natural medicines also worked with stones and has 
huge accounts written writings on on stones and crystals. Um, and then, you know, they kind of in, in Western culture, we got away from, in European culture, we got away from the use of crystals in lieu of more modern technologies. So plants and herbal medicines became very popular. Then, you know, later in more modern times, 1800s onward, we have um, development of antibiotics and medicines and other medications. And so crystals became less used because we shifted our approach in medicine to a symptom-based approach, like, right, we, we treat the thing that's bothering people. And so um, crystals are, of course, not a replacement for medical treatment. They are complementary. They're a more holistic, energetic approach to being supportive of someone. And so now in the modern day, I think there's resur this resurgence because we've kind of lost that connection to the whole person we've lost that connection to the energetic parts of ourselves. And so um, I think that's kind of why crystals have reappeared for us at this time when we're looking to regain that connection with the earth and we're looking to regain that feeling of wholeness within ourselves that's maybe been lost somewhere along the way. And empowerment, right? I mean, empowerment, taking your own responsibility for intuitively being guided energetically towards a tool, whatever that is, to help you in your healing journey. And crystals are, are so beautiful because they do, like you say, embody the earth, you know, they embody the energy of the earth, which we're returning to. I just love that. It's just, just such a resurgence of all modalities right now that were used thousands and thousands of years ago to, you know, look at the root base of why illness and um, injury occurs, you know, in a lot of cases. So especially yeah. these ones that do connect us to the earth, you know, right. because we are, we're so disconnected from nature, from natural cycles. Um, even just in the last 200 years, as you know, agriculture has been kind of revolutionized. Think of, you know, now we talk about like eating seasonally and that kind of thing as if it's this, this, you know, amazing concept. Well, until very recently, that's what everyone did because people had no choice. So um, it's, you know, it's a way to, I think, help us just be more mindful and get back in touch with the earth. Yeah. What advice or what direction do you have, or maybe some pointers, if you will, uh, for people who are, want to use crystals in their home, energetically in their home? as opposed to like for healing purposes or, or what have you? I think just being really mindful and asking yourself what the purpose is. If you put a crystal in a specific area, do it with intention, but also think about the purpose of that location. So not just why you want to use the crystal, but how that crystal would be supportive of you in that space. So for example, say you wanted, you know, a crystal for, group harmony and group cooperation because you wanted your family to get along and you know you don't want your kids to be arguing after school maybe you put some rose quartz in the time where you're spending the most time like or place where you're spending the most time like your living room your kitchen um, to create that sense of harmony and cooperation maybe you have an area that's really high traffic people are always in and out and you feel like the energy is just always a little funky in that space. Maybe you put some selenite for some cleansing um, or some carnelian for energizing. If you feel like the energy is always kind of flowing out of a door or window or an area, you know, again, that's really high traffic. I think just 
really thinking about the way that you use your space is important. How do you use that space? What's the main function of that space? And then how can you support that function energetically with a crystal? I'm looking right now at my office, my home office, like I work in this room on the other end. And it's so funny because I intuitively just placed a ton of rocks. I mean, and I, they're not very pretty. A lot of them are literally rocks I found in the woods or my sons picked up when they were little and they're all over because, you know, when you're in front of that blue screen all day, um, you just need to be grounded, you know, and kind of, kind of negate some of those waves coming through. And I, I work a pretty intense day job too. So I talk to a lot of people who are not very well. And sometimes I, I have to, I very much have to think and purposefully intentionally protect my energy as, you know, someone who does have to get involved with their cases and really ask a lot of questions about their health. And sometimes it's, yeah, it's really, you know, not always good. Um, but, you know, that's the job. And um, so I have rocks literally all over. And it's funny because I just noticed the placement and how funny my little workspace looks. It looks like I'm in like some cave, you know, with like, what are those stalagmites and stalactites? I'm looking at my desk. Interesting. I love that though, that you have just like some rocks that your kids found too, because think of first and foremost, yeah, how grounding it is just to have like a little piece of the earth, right? Super grounding, also mm -hmm. shielding and protective because when you're grounded, you're more rooted in and connected to the earth. So you can have better shielding, but also in this environment that's, you know, connected with a little bit more stressful part of your day, you have this connection to your kids and to love and to family and to things that are uplifting. So I think, you know, there's definitely a reason you probably chose those for that space, yeah. whether you're conscious of it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so how about, let's talk a little bit more about Ashley now. Um, as I previously mentioned, um, Ashley's the founder and educational director of the Love and Light School of Crystal Healing, which again, I have attended. Um, I received my crystal healing certificate and I'm working on my advanced crystal practitioner training um, through the program. So Ashley, can you tell our listeners more about that training program? Yeah, so this is a program that I've been developing over the past like 11 or 12 years. It's been a long, long time. Um, I taught this in person for a couple years before I brought it online, but this, I, I think it first came online in like 2010 or 2011. And it was because I was connected with other crystal healers around the country. And they said, oh my gosh, I would love to have something like that where I live. No one teaches anything like this. Would you consider teaching it online? And this is like before the days of Zoom, before we even had good video stream technology, really. And I said, okay, I'm going to try to figure it out. I'll try to figure it out. And I brought this program online. It was so amazing. I've now taught, uh, I think, over 5,000 people in like 65 countries. And it's such a passion project for me. This is like, crystals are kind of like one of the things that I can't help but think about immerse myself in every single day because I love them. Mm -hmm. And um, this program has just been tweaked and developed over the years. And, you know, a lot of people got used to online learning just since the pandemic 
uh, getting more comfortable with the idea, but this is something at the school we've been doing for a long, long time. Like I said, like 2010, 2011. So it's been over 10 years I've been teaching this program in an online format. It's super streamlined. It's actually a program bundle, like Tracy mentioned. It's our crystal healing certification program and advanced crystal practitioner program. There are 21 classes. It's over 40 hours of instruction. Uh, the way we have it set up in paste is to be completed over about five months. So this is no like, easy peasy weekend workshop, although those are great if you just want like an introduction, get familiar with crystals, get your feet wet. Uh, this is pretty in depth. There's a lot there. So if you are kind of, you know, looking to take that crystal knowledge and passion to the next level, whether that's for yourself or to do work for friends and family, or maybe even professionally for clients, this is such a great thing to, um, immerse yourself in. And I think that one of the things that always I hear back from students is how much they were blown away by how much content there really is. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was going to just learn the same old stuff, but there's so much in here. It's way more than I thought. And that always makes me really pleased. Um, plus people have lifetime access, so you can kind of go at your own pace. You can speed it up, slow it down. I get life happens. I'm probably the world's biggest procrastinator. So I understand that sometimes you just need to make things work around your schedule. And uh, I, I think it's really important to have that lifetime access too, because I want to stay connected with people. I love like hanging out with our alums and talking through things and answering questions. And it's fun for me. So <laughs> yeah, if you are, are interested in more information about the program, you can go to crystalhealerschool.com. Or if you're just looking for some free information, I have blog posts, articles, videos, and podcasts at loveandlightschool.com. The, the um, lifetime access is like what sold me because I actually purchased the package. Oh, my lights just flicked. Um, I purchased, again, it did it. Okay. <laughs> package. That's weird. Okay. I purchased the package right before the shutdown, you know, in 2020. And, um, and then I was working from home and everything shut down. So for a while, like I was on my computer all day. So like, I just, I had to be off of it. So I loved that. I like squeak flicking. I loved that. I, um, had the ability to work at my own pace. So I like took a little break. And then once I was like back into things and like, you know, cause everything was like, you know, crazy. So once I like got, got my footing and got back into things, I was able to finish. And sometimes I did like a few different, like of the modules and classes. So I caught up and then, um, and then just got busy after things opened up and I was like, I need to finish my advanced training now. Now's the time. So, yeah. And I think that's one of the things, you know, doing this for so long has allowed me to listen to a ton of feedback from students and tweak and change things to make it work for people. And Truly, I'm the kind of teacher, like, I rather you take your time and absorb the information and implement as you go and really learn it and embody it than to feel rushed by some arbitrary deadline and then not really soak in it because that does a disservice to you. And like, that's not what I want. I don't like that kind of pressure when I'm learning something new. I want to be able to take my time. That might mean two months. It might mean two years, you know, <laughs> and, and I think that's important just to be able to do it at your own pace. 
Yeah. That's really intriguing to me. And that's so appealing because of life and just the way things have changed and the pace of life. So I really love that option. That's crazy. It's also nice to go back and refresh because sometimes like, oh, what, you know, I'm thinking about this. I can go back in my module and I can look at it and like rewatch it and, you know, and so it's like a nice refresher too, because you know, like my, I feel like sometimes my brain fills up and I'm like, wait, what, what did Ashley say about that? So I can like go back and just refresh it. Yeah. Yeah. And as an alumni, you have access to all the future course updates. So usually once or twice a year, I add some new resources. I might re-record a lesson, switch some things up as I kind of, you know, change my thinking about something because that happens all the time. If I learn something new, I want to share it. I want you to have that latest information. So I think that's important too. Yeah, that's great. So Ashley has also written a couple of books as well as created Oracle card decks, which I love because that's my thing. That's one of my things. Um, So yeah, Ashley, tell us more about these items. Tell tell us about them. Yeah, so I actually self-published a few books like a long time ago um, and then wrote my first book that was like, published with a real publisher, uh, maybe 2017, I'm guessing on that. And that book is called Crystals for Energy Healing. That was the purple book that Tracy held up. There it is, beautifully modeled. (laughs) Um, And this is like an introductory book to crystals. And then it has a crystal source book. So there's a hundred crystals. Some are much more common things that, you know, um, you probably have in your own toolkit. Some are a little bit more unusual things that I just didn't see anyone else writing about that I thought I really want to get this information out there. And it talks about, you know, the, um, geology, where the crystals are found, how common they are, things that they're easily mistaken for the history and lore and mythology, and then an easy way to use it along with some properties. Um, And the fun fact about that book, Crystals for Energy Healing, is that a number of the crystals in the directory are actually photos of my own personal crystals. The publisher uh, couldn't find stock photos for a few of the more unusual crystals, which wasn't surprising. So they hired a photographer to come take pictures of some of my pieces. So those pieces kind of live forever in the book pages, which makes me really happy. And then just a few years ago, um, I had published my second book, which is called Cosmic Crystals. And it's all about crystal rituals for connecting with the moon. I went through, a, I say went through, I'm still going through, but at that time I thought it was kind of all done with um, some major reproductive health issues in my life. And I had a full hysterectomy about two weeks before my 29th birthday. I was very young. It was difficult. Um, A lot of the spirituality circles that I was in at the time were kind of like goddess spirituality and women's spirituality focused. And there was a lot of emphasis placed on reproductive organs and um, womanhood tied to that, which I, I struggle with, um, because I just don't, I don't think that's where like womanness or femininity, femininity really comes from in the first place. So, uh, that was, it was a challenge for me. And even though I felt okay about the decision, my husband and I had long before decided that we weren't going to have children. 
So I was okay with it. That way there was still this sense of loss for me that I was honestly unexpected. And I also at the same time felt really disconnected from my body. You know, I was so used to menstruation and like having a cycle and recognizing my kind of ups and downs and ebbs and flows. And once I didn't have that, not only did I feel disconnected from my body, I kind of felt disconnected from the natural cycles of the earth. And it was really hard. So in order for me to kind of replace that or supplement that, what felt like it was missing, I turned to the moon because the moon was so closely linked with, you know, our own cycles that I thought this would be a great way to help me stay mindful of those natural rhythms, those times of energy and creativity and rest. Um, and it was game changing for me. It was so helpful. And I found something really magical in that process of connecting with the moon. So this book focuses on the moon as it moves through its different phases, as it moves through the signs of the zodiac, and as it moves through the calendar year, because there are 13 moons every year. And I look at them based on um, indigenous names for the moons, more Anglo-Saxon names for the moons, and more Celtic names for the moons and connecting with the different energies uh, between the moon and crystals so that we have a way to kind of physically touch and feel that energy. Because, you know, that's the hard thing about connecting with something that's way up in the sky. You can't hold it and feel it. And I'm such a tactile person. That was really important. So I wanted to find crystals and way of working with my crystals since that's just a big part of my everyday life that could help me feel more connected to that, that moon energy, a specific moon energy, so that I could embody it and feel really present and um, more in alignment and flow. That's amazing. I, yeah, we just talked this morning uh, about the feminine moon energy and the masculine sun energy. That's, cra that's crazy. Yep. That's, that's wonderful. Um, so you have some Oracle card decks. Don't forget about this. That goes along with the cosmic crystals book. That's called the crystal moon mystic Oracle cards. And so every moon from the book has an Oracle card. And I commissioned the most amazing artists to do these beautiful paintings for every moon. So there's a card to go with every moon. I love just putting these on my altar um, when it's time for that moon to come around. Like it just makes me so happy to have, again, that tactile physical representation of the energy. And then along with that moon and kind of the symbolism for that moon, there's a picture of the crystal somewhere in there too. Um, so that is, that was like my my big production, you know, working with an artist and, and I self-published that deck and um, it was just an amazing response to that deck. And then I've also created my crystal grid Oracle card deck, which is super simple. And Tracy has that one. It's just, it's like a, a message for your day. Every card has a crystal grid that has a word stone in the center and then crystals around that support that theme. I list on the card, the types of crystals that were used in that grid and then the keyword. And so this can just be a quick message for your day, or you can actually use this like a recipe book for creating your own crystal grids. Kind of look up a word or phrase, see what crystals are connected to that energy um, and see you know, how you can incorporate those to call in that energy or to create your own grid. Did you, are these your grids? Like, or did you take pictures of the grids you made? 
I literally took all those pictures <laughs> in that deck. Um, that was again, like back before it was really super easy to do that was before we all had great cameras on our phones and stuff. So it was a, an interesting, complicated process. Um, I took most of the pictures at my shop with like a tiny little digital camera trying to get overhead and, you know, get the photos all nice and straight was a project, but I think it turned out really cute. I love just doing like a daily card draw with these and placing them on your altar for the day or even tucking them into a book, you know, just every time you pick up that book as a reminder, there's so many ways just to connect with them and, and have a little fun. Let's talk a little bit about your metaphysical store, Mimosa, and a decision that you um, made. I was reading one of your blog posts, um, and it said that in late 2020, you stopped um, purchasing white sage and some other materials for resale, um, and it was in pursuit of cultural respect and social justice. So can you tell us more about the factors that went into that decision? Yeah, so I kind of want to like preface this conversation by saying, first and foremost, I am not an indigenous person. I am a white lady. <laughs> Second, um, I am not an anti-oppression, anti-bias, anti-racist educator in any way. Um, but as many white folks did in early 2020, it was kind of... Uh, made aware of so many of the social justice issues that this country faces that, to be honest, in my very sheltered, privileged life, although I knew some of these things existed, I didn't truly understand the depth to which the impact um, affected so many people in this country, so many different racial and ethnic groups, uh, so many people of marginalized identities. And so I started working with an anti-oppression um, educator who focuses on decolonial theory and looking at some of the things that I was doing in my own life, in my businesses, for the school teaching, and also for my shop. And one of the major things that came out of that at that time was that my shop had been selling white sage, ceremonial tobacco, Palo Santo for probably, you know, nearly a decade. I couldn't even tell you. And although that is a product line that existed um, before I came in as a business partner and then uh, the full owner of the business when my former partner retired, it didn't make it okay. It wasn't, it wasn't an excuse to continue a practice that I now understood to be wrong. So I want to also say it's important to understand that indigenous people are not a monolith. This is something that you will hear a lot if you start looking into anti-oppressive work that we can be doing in the spiritual and wellness community. So although some indigenous people may be totally okay, with folks outside of the culture working with things like sage or Palo Santo or sweetgrass, other indigenous folks are not okay with it and are very vocal about the fact that they don't want white folks working with these sacred medicines and appropriating their culture, A, without an understanding of truly the meaning and practice itself, but B, without an invitation to be doing so see even worse, doing the types of things that I was doing by selling this material and profiting off of it and 
teaching about the use of sage in my classes, which was incredibly wrong. Um, and so it, you know, took a lot of listening and reflection and understanding to see truly the depth to which I had been perpetrating some really oppressive behaviors. And I'll be honest, it's not that I had not heard of cultural appropriation before then, but I truly thought that was something that other people did because I thought, well, I'm not a racist person. I'm honoring the culture. I couldn't possibly be doing, I'm not a bad person. It has nothing to do with that. It truly just has to do with, and ultimately what, what made me understand this um, was first seeing how our society and the way that things are structured are racist and of themselves. And so understanding that there are people who are oppressed and there are people that have privileges and seeing how I was contributing to oppression in that system. So it took a, a lot of self-reflection to understand that even though I thought I had these good intentions, my actions were still resulting in forms of oppression. And what ultimately influenced my own personal decision to discontinue these products from my store and discontinue that way of teaching, which I had no business doing, was listening to indigenous folks who just were requesting that white folks stop this practice of appropriation. And even though maybe not all indigenous folks agree about this, the decision for me personally, and that's all I can speak on here, came from the fact that if I did anything to anyone else and they said, hey, that thing that you did, that hurt me, wouldn't I want to stop doing it? And that for me, being a person who does want to focus on compassion as one of like my guiding principles and one of the values that I hold in my life, I realized that I needed to walk my talk there. And I wasn't perpetuating a compassionate action by continuing to sell these sacred medicines at my store and to teach the use of them. So Mimosa, had a lot of stock of this material. We actually donated the stock of our white sage to several indigenous organizations who could make good use of those sacred medicines. Um, we do have a blog post about this as Tracy mentioned on our website at mimosaspirit.com. So you can actually see the organizations where that material was donated to. Uh, we discontinued the sale of sweetgrass and ceremonial tobacco, which were also donated along with the white sage to those organizations. And then for Palo Santo, it's a little bit different because when I really started researching it, there's actually not a lot of um, information about indigenous people who are working with Palo Santo. Uh, so there was nowhere to donate or return these medicines to. So what we've decided to do instead is we are selling the current stock of Palo Santo that we have right now until it's sold out and 100% of the sales. So not 100% of the proceeds or profit, but 100% of the money from all the Palo Santo sold is donated to an organization called FECONAU, F-E-C-O-N-A-U. It's a very long acronym, but basically it's an organization that supports uh, about 30 different indigenous communities in the Amazon basin to 
help them reclaim sovereignty over their own lands. And so we thought that was the best way that we could support the communities from where this Palo Santo was being extracted. You'll also see you know, a, a lot of discussions online about the environmental impact of these materials. So that's also a consideration. Um, but more, it was just about doing what I felt was the right thing since educating myself and not even educating myself by having, again, the privilege of being educated by indigenous activists and leaders um, and, and community elders who were talking about these issues. And so it was a big decision. We, you know, there are of course people that don't um, quite understand. There's always worries about it being seen as also a performative issue um, that, you know, it was like a trendy thing to do. But ultimately, this is a decision I feel really good about. It's a decision that I think was long overdue. There's honestly things I'm still working through in my own like personal life regarding things like shame about having perpetuated these things for so long. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's that whole no better, do better situation. And so once you learn about harm that you're causing in any scenario where oppression is being perpetuated, all you can do is do your best to remediate that harm. Did you in the shop, did you replace, so if someone wants to cleanse with smoke, did you replace or like their other herbs? Did you fill the void with something else? Such a good follow-up question. Um, and we do talk about this a little bit in the blog post. Um, so one of the things that I learned, again, from working with this anti-oppression educator, who is amazing, by the way, her name is Constanza Eliana Chinea. Her company is Embody Inclusivity at um, embodyinclusivity.com is where you can find her. Um, but she, you know, we talked through being more mindful in all decisions. And instead of just doing something because it seems like the norm, whether that's choosing a product line to carry or whatever, really being more intentional and mindful and thinking about the impact. So in that blog post, we talk about how we encourage our customers who maybe have been purchasing these materials from us for a long time to explore something that would be more culturally authentic to them. So this is something I've been doing in my personal life and it's been so interesting to really look back at, you know, most of my ancestry is European. It's a mix of Irish and British and Welsh and a little bit of other things mixed in there. Um, but, you know, being able to explore my own cultural ancestral traditions when it comes to cleansing, water is something that's pretty ubiquitous across the world in all cultures. So cleansing with water is, it's pretty sustainable. It's very affordable. It's very accessible for most people. And so that may be a great alternative for you. Sound cleansing is excellent. Um, and I think the other thing is looking at how the even those methods of cleansing kind of play into capitalism because we're you know taught that we need these things that are consumable right and so something like water or a bell or chime that you purchase one time and you have to support your cleansing and clearing work forever um, is great and those are probably some of the methods that I turn to the most now rather than smoke cleansing but if you still want to incorporate smoke for maybe cleansing or more commonly, I'd say in my own uh, understanding of our ancestral, my cultural ancestral traditions, 
smoke was used more for blessing frequently, like if herbs were being burned, it was more for a blessing than a cleansing. Um, fire was actually more used for cleansing in, in the cultures that are authentic to me. Um, but we do have a few things that are herbs that can be used, but it's not always that they have to be burned. In some cultures, they were scattered and swept away. Um, in some cultures, they may have been placed more as an offering and then cleared away after a time. So, you know, really kind of understanding the practices that we do and why we do them, I think has been huge, being more mindful of that. But yeah, there are things like we have now that are, I think, more, um, I'm more accessible and, and I think more commonly used um, for modern magical purposes. So we have things like lavender, mugwort, that sort of thing. Okay. Rosemary is another one. Yeah, I've liked what you said about cultural because I'm Polish. So I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I got to figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I need to research mine too. I need to research mine. It's honestly been so... Um, supportive and healing and um kind of a magical thing for me personally to explore some of these things in my own culture and it's you know it's not always the easiest it takes time but that is like part of the effort and the work that we should be putting into discovering those things for ourselves and truly some of the things that I've learned have felt so right for me and yeah. made me feel so whole and so at home that it has been well worth um, everything leading up to this point for, that I've experienced personally. Although of course, you know, there's still, as I mentioned, a lot of like regret and shame and other things that I'm processing as, as being part of this. Yeah. Kind of big uh, industry machine around this, you know, I mean, um, see, seeing the use of sage in like yoga studios or across continents. I mean, I'm, I, I see it everywhere now. It's so interesting, especially with like Instagram, you know, seeing people in Australia working with white sage bundles, or it's just, it, it's so interesting to see how the spread of ideas kind of goes across the globe, which on one hand can be great in so many respects, but it really helped me also see and understand why there was, you know, so much opposition, especially by indigenous folks to their sacred medicines being used this way because it got so diluted, especially, you know, that the practice and the meaning is so far from its origins. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't it like the seventies or something? What, what is that whole thing with like, they were allowed to start practicing again or. Yeah. And again, I'm no expert on this. Um, right. This is something I've learned from indigenous folks. So like, I encourage everyone to go out there and, you know, look up some indigenous um, leaders and activists, like, especially, you know, in places like Instagram, YouTube, who are discussing these issues and talking about them. But we do um, mention this in the blog post article on Mimosa, I believe it was 1978, was when indigenous people in North America, what's now called North America, were even allowed to reconnect to their own cultural practices and, and religious practices, which is on the one hand shocking, on the other hand, not shocking. 
Well, so, Ashley, I'm going to kind of turn the, the, turn the tables a little bit and talk about some of the other, we talked about your classes. And so, and I was wondering this the whole time, what other services, if any, do you offer? And can you just tell us a little bit about that and then how people can contact you and learn more about your classes and whatever other services you may offer? Yeah, so mostly I'm just focused on teaching right now. It's the thing that makes me feel, you know, excited to get up and start my day in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I have my certification programs, which we discussed. We open those for enrollment a couple times a year. We will be opening our general enrollment in probably May of 2022 will be the next time. Um, but I do have some smaller standalone classes as well that are available year round on my website, which is again, loveandlightschool.com. I have classes on the moon phases and working with tarot and crystals for spirituality and just uh, some little tasters so that you can get to know my teaching style and see if you enjoy learning and working with me. Um, and then I also have, you know, we have kind of a three-tiered approach to uh, everything that we do at the school. So we have our paid programs, we have our smaller, you know, mini courses, and then we have tons of free content because I do want to create access for people, even if they're not able to afford the larger programs, which we do also offer scholarships for. Um, so in that free content, we have weekly blog post articles, podcast episodes and videos. So I try and do all three every week. I don't always make it. <laughs> I'm probably a little shy of one per week at the end of the year, uh, but I try and do my best. And those are all at loveandlightschool.com. You can also go to the website slash listen, and that will give you all the information on the Love and Light Live podcast with our most popular episodes and latest episodes and um, that kind of thing. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I think that's the thing that makes me most excited is just being able to share what I've learned with other people and connect. So if you're on Instagram, you can find me at love and light school. I'd love to hear from you what you thought of this episode. So send me a DM and I'll reply back and, um, be grateful that you listened. Oh my goodness. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add that we missed? You know, I just want to thank you both for the opportunity to come and and talk about all these things. You had such great questions. And so I appreciate all the questions that you had, as well as you said, you got some from your community. And uh, I hope that you learned a lot. I just I hope everyone learned a lot and had a good time. This is the kind of thing that I kind of geek out on. I love just talking about crystals. If anyone who's listening has a question that they would love to have had answered, again, please just send me an Instagram message. I'll be happy to answer. I'll either reply back or send you a little voice note or something, but um, I just love that kind of stuff. Or maybe I'll even answer it on my own podcast. We'll see. <laughs> I was just going to say, because I mean, we, you know, we're, definitely in touch with the community now and people just want to know what we do is nothing close to what you do it's really just to, to answer the need for people to for, to have more to have something else they're all looking for something and so we're in a forum where we're doing this at a at a place where people are coming to just decide which direction they're going to go what tools they want to use so all we're doing is going you know it's an it's an intro to crystals 101 class so 
you know, and, and we're talking very basic. So I think it's great to have information on your classes in your knowledge, in your training programs for people who yet say yes, you know, like Tracy, this is what I want to focus in, or this is a big part of what I want to deal with. So, and, and this is going to be one of my biggest, you know, tools. So I, I love that though. You're like putting out the buffet and people just yeah. get to enjoy the spread mm -hmm. and have a little of this and a little taste of that and see what mm -hmm. they want to have some more of. Yeah. yeah, we get them started with their five top crystals and like our recommendations. But yeah, it's great because the place we do we do this um, at Inner Light, they they basically have crystals available, you know, for purchase to get you started if you want to do that, or if you say, you know, that was great, but I think I'm going to look somewhere else. You can pack those up and go to the tarot decks or whatever. But I just love to have your class as an offering for people who want more, you know. And I love the fact that you offer classes in other things or crystals generally, just to let people know your style, as you say. So if they want to work with you, they don't have to jump into a 21 class, you know, certification program. They can just kind of see how the energy vibes with what they want to do and what you're offering. So I love that. So we have to mention that, Trace. I can definitely- Oh, I gave her, I gave your website to one of the students afterwards. He came up yeah. and he said, do you certify people? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> if you want certified, this is who you go to. Yeah. So- that's great. Well, thank you so much. It has just been such a pleasure talking with both of you today and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. 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 Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. And we yeah. just, yeah. So I guess we should wrap it up. We've, we've kept you over time, but um, if you are new to the show and like what you hear, please give us a five-star review. If you're listening on Apple podcast, tell your friends about us, follow us on social media. Um, we are at soul infusion underscore podcast on Instagram on Facebook. We are at soul infusion podcast. It's all one word on TikTok, We are at soul underscore infusion underscore podcast and join us again in two weeks. So we can infuse your soul with more mind, body, and soul goodness. Yay. Thank you everyone. Bye.